City Hope. Wow, what a weekend. You guys look great. I, I don't know. If you did this every weekend, I, I don't know if we could take it. I mean, you just look that good. I want you to turn to someone you don't know and say, thank you for looking so good. Come on. And then tell them you're going to look for them next weekend and see if they look that good. Okay. <laughs> hey, I want to welcome the campuses. And also I want to welcome, uh, I know we mentioned those who are online, but also we have a lot of ministry partners and missionaries all over the world that, that are part of our, our, our stream and, and our services. And I just want to say to all those guys, uh, happy Easter. Have a blessed e Easter. Can we give all of our missionaries and ministries a big hand? Yeah. Well, I love Easter weekend. Uh, you know, some pastors don't because they think, well, everybody knows what you're going to talk about. And, uh, you know, but isn't it exciting that when you get to talk about the Easter story over and over and over, it never gets old. And I, I, I love Easter. And, and let me tell you why. I, I love Easter because Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John all gave us the Easter story. And the Easter story is chaotic but it's detailed. It's probably the most finely tuned described event in all of ancient history, by far 500 years before and 500 years after. There's more detail in the few hours around this uh, crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus in, in all of the ancient literature, and it's exactly like you would expect to find in any story. There's inconsistency in the way that people tell the story. No one doubts it, but something actually happen, but there's always a little difference in their perspective when they tell the story. And the great thing about the gospel accounts is when it comes to the resurrection is that they all arrived at the same conclusion. And I know when you think about a resurrection, it, it seems to be totally unbelievable. And if you look at it from 30,000 feet, say, that it, it, you could think that way, but, but, but I want to get in a little closer the reason we adults here and those who are online listening and people all over the world actually believe that Jesus rose from the dead is this. It's because Matthew, an eyewitness to the events, believed it. Because Mark, who spent time with eyewitnesses, believed it. And because Luke, who thoroughly investigated all the events, believed it. And John, who was an eyewitness, believed it. And then James, the brother of Jesus, believed that his brother was the Son of God and rose from the dead. I mean, think about it. What would your brother have to do to convince you that he was the Son of God? <laughs> Magic tricks won't work. I don't think the miracles work. I think the only thing that convinced James was that uh, he, he knew his, he attended his brother's funeral, and then the next few days he shows back up. See, the brother of Jesus, James, he was invisible in the Gospels. When Jesus is doing all this ministry and, and all his stuff, he, he, he's not there. And then suddenly at the end, at the most dangerous time to be a Jesus follower, James shows back up in the story, he becomes the leader of the first century church in Jerusalem. And, and here's why, because his brother rose from the dead. That's why we believe it. And then there's this guy you've heard a lot about. His name is Paul. He hated Christians. A lot of that going on today. And, and you, you know, you may, have one, you may have had a Christian neighbor at one time that you'd like to put in jail. 
uh, he put Christians in jail. And, and, and then within a few years of the resurrection of Jesus, this man who hated Christians became a Jesus follower. So if you want to know why we take it so serial, seriously, it, it's, it's not make-believe. It's not some story that's made up to inspire us, to give us hope. The reason we believe it happened in history is because Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Peter, James, Paul, and all the eyewitnesses and those that they knew eyewitnesses, they wrote about it and they said they believed it. And here's what's great. As they wrote their accounts, they gave them to the members of their churches. The members of the churches went home and they started copying them down in their own homes because everybody wanted a copy of it in their own homes. And then they started circulating it across the countryside. And people began to gather the letters or the documents. And once Christianity was brought, uh, made legal, they brought all of these documents and put it together to what we call the New Testament. And then they took all of those documents of the New Testament and they bound it with the Old Testament. And that's where we get our Bible. But we don't believe Jesus rose from the dead just because the Bible tells us so. No, there's, it's much better than that. That's why we take the Easter story so seriously. So I want to share with you the Easter story. I want to go back to pre-first century Jerusalem, Judea. The Jewish people are, look, are hoping for a Messiah. Rome's in control of the world. And actually, they're, they're controlling them. And they have prayed that God would send them a military deliverer they called a Messiah. And every once in a while, someone would pop up in, in history, and they would thought, okay, this is the one. He's the one. We're going to follow him. And then after a time, the, the Roman power would squash the rebellion, and then Judea is back under the heel of Rome again. Rome was known as the eternal city, and it looked like the Roman Empire would be the eternal empire. And then one afternoon, a strange man in strange clothes walks out of the Jordan River Basin into civilized Judea, and he says, repent, repent, God is doing something unique. And, 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 and we know him as John the Baptist. The leaders of the temple heard about him. They go down to the Jordan River, they find John, and they say, hey, are you claiming to be another Messiah? And he said, no, but he's on his way. And, and, and you need to get ready, you need to repent of your sins, so when he shows up, you'll recognize him for who he is. And sure enough, very soon after that, Jesus of Nazareth, who was who just about everybody in the 21st century has heard of, steps into the pages of history. He begins to teach. He begins to heal. And, and people, crowds follow him. You read in the book of Mark, crowds are everywhere. And, and, and he feeds the people. He heals people. He's teaching. But his teaching is confusing to the people because they're so wrapped in religion, it's hard for them to understand. And so even today, we're still trying to figure it out because he talked in parables. And after the parables, the disciples would say to him, oh, that was great. But to each other, they'd say, I don't know what that meant. Do you know what that means? I don't have a clue. Although he was a great teacher who taught with authority, Jesus' teaching wasn't always clear. And yet the crowds begin to follow him. And suddenly there's a conflict. There's tension between the followers of Jesus and the followers of the temple. And then something happened. Rumors begin to spread that Jesus raised someone from the dead. Not just anyone, but a prominent businessman in the community named Lazarus. 
He raised him from the dead, but he was late to the funeral. When he's there, he's already buried. He's been dead. And, and, and he asked the family to roll the stone away. His sister says, oh, we can't do that because his body probably stinks by now. They rolled the stone away. Jesus raises the man from the dead. The crowds went wild. The, the rumors spread around the community. The temple leaders realized there is a shift going on. We are losing the people, and Jesus is gaining the crowd. He's gaining, gaining the crowd of people. And this is what happened. It brought a group of people together who had never gotten together before. <laughs> the chief priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the teachers of the law, the t- temple lawyers, they all came together in one room to discuss this. And they came up with one simple idea, and here's what they said. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. And then we would say, well, okay, what's the problem with that? But you see, here's what they would say. Once everyone believes in him, the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. And now, watch what's happened. Now suddenly faith, religion, and politics gets mixed. And now the tension mounts to the point that those in charge of the religious systems realize we have got to do something. He's got to go. It's either us or him. And John tells us from that day of that meeting, they plotted to take Jesus' life. And eventually, as you know, he's arrested, Jesus. And, 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 and this is fascinating because when you read the accounts around the crucifixion, crucifixion, it's just like somebody telling the story that, that actually happened. You probably have a story, something unique that happened in your life, and you love to share it, and you love to tell people. And when you're telling the story, you start off, and you're, you're, you're really you're kind of general, and you're moving fast with, with, with the context. But when you get to the details, you slow down, and you make sure the details are clear and specific. When you get to that part in the Gospels where the writers tell us about the crucifixion and the resurrection, the details are incredible. And they write it as, as if it's a narrative, not a fairy tale. They write it as if it's history, not something they are making up. So, so consider this. If Matthew wrote Matthew, and if, if, if Mark wrote Mark, and Luke wrote Luke, and John wrote John, and Peter wrote the epistles of Peter, and Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, if they were actually the authors of this literature, they made themselves look terrible in the story of Jesus. They wrote themselves in as cowards and not heroes. And it's interesting because these documents were not written until 30 to 40 years after the event. Now, some teach that it was 80 or 90 years after the event, but you see, they wrote it in their lifetime. So some time has gone by, and they had time to spin the story. They had time to spin it. They had time to make themselves look good. And you would think if someone was fabricating this story, trying to keep a movement alive about a, de- alive about a dead guy who had written, you, you would write the leaders in as courageous, you would write the leaders in as faith-filled people who knew how to keep the dream alive. But when you read the Gospels, you don't find that at all. You find a description of the men who were very, very real. They were real scared, real insecure, real concern for themselves. The interesting thing is, if these accounts were written 80, 90 years after the event, and if you went to college, that's what you were probably taught. 
If Matthew didn't write, then if that's the case, then Matthew didn't write Matthew, and Mark didn't write Mark, and Luke didn't write Luke, and John didn't write John because they were all dead and gone, and all the eyewitnesses are dead and gone. If these gospels were fabricated by people many, many, 80, 90, 100 years later, you have to ask the question, then why would they fabricate questions about Jesus? Because they were trying to keep a Jesus movement alive, but you make the leaders of the movement heroes. But when you read the gospel accounts, no one took any interest in manning these guys up. You read the stories, they're actually believable because it's real, it's raw, it's who these guys are. And get this, when Jesus is arrested, they didn't stand by their man leader. I mean, if you're going to make this up, you would have them circle Jesus and say, if he goes, we go. I mean, you, 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 would, you would get all strong and you would stand around and, and, and you, you'd, make, you'd say, oh, no, 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 if you're going to crucify him, you're going to crucify us as well. But in all the gospel accounts, when Jesus is arrested, they run for their lives. They run for their lives. And, and not only that, but they didn't even show up for Jesus' funeral. His closest followers, and when Jesus is buried, they don't even show up. Uh, do, you, do you know who buried Jesus? Two guys buried Jesus. None of the disciples, none of the women who followed him, none of the people who dedicated their lives to him in, the, in his ministry, two people show up to bury Jesus. One is a rich guy that was a secret believer, and he's so afraid of the Jews that he, he, he never went public with his faith. The other guy was a Pharisee. So if you're making this up, and you know the relationship between Jesus and the Pharisees because it was rough from day one, you don't have a Pharisee bury Jesus. If you're making this up, you have his closest followers sneak in at night, take the body, go bury it in a private place. But the gospel writers are honest, and, he clo and the closest followers didn't even show up to get the body. The gospels tell us that the secret follower, Joseph of Arimathea, and a Pharisee go to Pilate, and they say, hey, listen, we know because it's Passover, you're probably going to just break the legs who have been of those who have been crucified, and you're going to throw them in the dump uh, like you do everyone else during this time. But we would like for you to give us the body of Jesus so we can bury the body of Jesus. And history implies that they probably paid Pilate to be able to take the body. At the end of Jesus' life on this earth, you have a Pharisee and a coward come get his body and his closest followers are in hiding. Why? Why is it written that way? Because that's what happened. Nobody tried to make anyone a hero. No one was trying to make a man up anybody so they would have more credibility in the future of the Jesus movement. In fact, if you look at it from this angle, Jesus' enemies had more confidence in the Jesus movement than the Jesus followers. They who, those who had him crucified had more confidence in the disciples than, they, than the disciples had in themselves. They had more concern about the Jesus movement. And, and, and so the chief priests and the Pharisees who never got along, they went back to Pilate and said, hey, wait, you've created a problem for us because you gave the body of Jesus to a Pharisee and a rich guy and they buried him. Because you see, bodies at crucifixion usually stayed on the cross until they rot. And once you have hardly anything left, you send a slave to scrape off the cross what's left and you put it in a cart and you take the cart to the city dump and you dump it there. But in this case, because it's Passover, you didn't do that. You broke the legs of those who were crucified and then you allowed their bodies to be taken down. But now they buried Jesus. They didn't throw this body in, in, in the dump like they should have. So Pilate, you, here, here's what the leaders are saying. You need to do us one more favor because we remember something he said. Jesus said, three days and I will rise. 
and we need to, you to put a guard outside the tomb. And Matthew 27, 64, so give the order for the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people that he's been raised from the dead. This last deception will be first, worse than the first. Jesus' followers were not about to steal the body of Christ. Why? Because stealing a body would be dangerous and pointless. I mean, let, let's think about this because we think of crucifixion, we think of movies, we think of Hollywood. We've never seen one, we've never smelt one, and we have never really seen what a body looks like after it's hung on a tree day after day after day outside dead, and these men had grown up seeing crucifixions. And they knew if they came for Jesus, there's a possibility they're going to come for us. And, they, and if they were willing to go that far to stop the movement of Jesus, then they wouldn't be exempt. And to steal the body in order to, to take the lie of the resurrection and make it planted, it was too dangerous and pointless. So think about it. If they weren't willing to die for Jesus while he was alive, they weren't about to risk their lives now that he was dead. And if they ran off when Jesus was arrested, they're not going to risk their lives because he's dead. Why die for a dead man whose death disproved everything he asked you to believe while he was alive? And at the very center of Jesus' message was Jesus. Everything Jesus talked about, the center of the message was Jesus. He claimed to be the Son of God, and the Son of God, sons of God don't die. He claimed to be the Jewish Messiah, and, and he allowed them to hail him King of the Jews. Jewish messiahs don't die by being crucified. So picture them. They're running. They're fleeing. And, and we would have too. But they have fleeing thoughts. Fleeing thoughts. I, I think they thought this way. Jesus claimed to be the resurrection and the life. I heard him say it. He claimed to be the resurrection and life, but you, you can't kill the resurrection and the life, can you? And I, think they re, I think they remember Jesus. He said, I'm going to start a movement and death can't stop it. But he, he, he's crucified. I think they thought, well, when, when Jesus died, I think they thought in their minds, the closest followers in their mind, the movements died as well. It's over. I think they thought Jesus couldn't stay alive to keep the, the movement alive. Why risk our lives to keep a lie alive? See, there's no way in the world these men planned or thought about stealing the body and lying about a resurrection. Because they knew if they did, if they were exposing this out in the public, that there would be a knock on their door the next day and 11 men would be crucified on the city walls of Jerusalem. So let, let me recap, because I want to land somewhere. Here's what you've got so far, okay? So you've got nervous religious leaders. Nervous. We've got to get rid of this guy. We've got to get rid of these followers. They're stirring everything up. We've got to make sure he stays dead. Secondly, you've got terrified apostles. Well, if they came for him, they're going to come for us. You've got despondent women who had hoped things would change in their world, but now their rabbi, their teacher was dead. And you've got confused Roman soldiers. Why? Because after all, when the temple guard, and by the way, the Roman soldiers did not consider a temple guard a soldier. So when the temple guard went to arrest Jesus, all of his followers ran. They fled. So a Roman soldier's thinking, well, why are we wasting our time to, go to guard a tomb of a dead man? They didn't even stand by him when he was alive. There's no way they're going to come and try to steal his body. But here's what you don't have. Here's what you don't have. You don't have someone standing outside Jesus' tomb expecting a resurrection. There, there is not one single person in the Gospels expected a resurrection. I mean, would you? Of, of course not. Because when people die, they, they always stay dead. 
When Jesus died, the Jesus movement died with him, they thought. And yet here we are 2,000 years later, and there are people on every continent and in almost every country celebrating the resurrection of Jesus Christ this weekend. How did that happen? People all over the world celebrating the resurrection of a Jewish carpenter, a Nazarene, how is that? How is it that there was another, at least a half dozen wannabe messiahs that you can't name a single one of them, yet at this point in history, there's so much written about this one, Jesus Christ, and here we are 2,000 years later. Here's what you don't have. We're not here because someone stole a body. They would have figured that out. We're not here because someone died on a cross. Thousands were crucified on a cross. We're not here because someone gave a series of teachings, and we got to keep that literature alive. We're here because on Easter morning, a group of women showed up at a tomb expecting to find a body. We're here because on Easter morning, a group of women who knew Jesus, trusted and believed in Jesus, saw the miracles but lost all hope, show up expecting to find a body. And, and, and here's what they're going to do with the body. They show up to re-embalm the body. You know why? Because they knew that men embalmed the body and they didn't do it right and they had to go do it right. <laughs> Come on, guys, you can't even make up the bed right, right? Yeah. So they show up expecting to find a body. There was no body. It was empty. This brings us to the very issue of the Easter story. You want to know the, East, the issue of the Easter story? The thing that everyone should wrestle with the issue everyone should wrestle with nobody expected nobody nobody expected nobody i want i want you to say it with me nobody expected nobody the story ends in a way nobody expected the tomb is empty and do you know what happened after the resurrection? Do you know what happened right after the resurrection when they find this empty place? The very same men who scattered and hid, the very same women who were despondent, those same men and women in just a few days, not years, just a few days, these men and women poured into the streets of Jerusalem, which is, by the way, walking distance from the tomb. And they said to the very people who witnessed the crucifixion, they said to the very people who, who, who stood at the trial of Jesus, suddenly these men and women who had hid and afraid for their lives poured into the street of Jerusalem, and this is what they said. And I believe they pointed their finger. You killed him. God raised him. We've seen him. Now repent. You killed him. God raised him. We've seen him. Now repent. And then you read on, the book of Acts tells us thousands of people in the city of Jerusalem with the weeks of the resurrection repented and embraced Jesus as Messiah. The reason we're here 2,000 years later isn't because Jesus said some important things or died on a cross, <coughs> but because he who was raised from the dead <coughs> and was seen by eyewitnesses who went and proclaimed that message. And most of them, watch, gave their lives not because of what they believed. They gave their lives because of what they believed they saw. A resurrected Savior. 
the reason the cowards and the despondent people re-engaged with the message, the movement of Jesus was because they saw a resurrected Savior. Then you fast forward 22 years and you find Paul and he's writing another letter to a group of Christians at Corinth, men and women, probably never been to Jerusalem. They're for the most part Gentiles. But they had placed their faith in Christ during a time when many of the eyewitnesses were alive. And Paul pins this letter to them and reminds them of what's at the core of their belief as a Christian. Listen to what he said in 1 Corinthians 15.1. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you the gospel I preached to you. He's already been there. Which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. For what I received, notice the word received, I passed on to you as the first importance that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. When he says received, here's what he means. Paul didn't become a Christian for years after the resurrection, and he received his information that Christ died for our sins from an eyewitness encounter with Jesus. It's years after the resurrection, and he encounters Jesus on the road to Damascus, and he says, hey, listen, what I received, I pass on to you for the importance. But we believe as follows of Jesus, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Wait a minute, it's been 22 years, there's already scripture. There's already scripture. In other words, in a 22-year period, they have documented the scripture. Someone had started writing down the details. Paul said Jesus was buried, they took him back, and, 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 and because everybody, you know, they, they, they knew, hey, listen, you, you, didn't, you didn't bury people that crucified, you threw their bodies into the dump. Paul said, I want to remind you what I told you before, the crucifixion, the body of Christ was taken from the cross. It was actually buried, and he died on a cross. He was buried. He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Verse 5, and he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, and then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Most of the 500 are still alive. Some have fallen asleep. Most are still living. And, 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 and you see, what you have to understand is some saw a living Jesus had fallen asleep. That means they had died. Do, do you know what the, the New Testament death is described? You know why it's described as sleep? Because the Apostle Paul, who knew John and Peter, he knew all the Marys, everybody involved had absolute confidence that he could describe death as sleep. Because after you sleep for a while, you always wake up. This is the New Testament view of death. Do, do you know why he, he could write that with confidence? Because he believed with all his heart that Jesus rose from the dead and that every single believing person would do the same. Verse 9, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, but I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and by his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God that was in me. He's saying, listen, I've heard the story of how Jesus presented himself to all the apostles and, and, and how he appeared to me last. And, and, and he's saying, what he's saying is, I know all these guys were cowards. I know all of these guys ran. I know they were cowards. But, and I know Peter even denied Jesus to a middle school girl, you know. And, 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 but, 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 but none of them stepped up. I understand that, but I can't be critical because I did worse than that. I had Christians arrested. I had Christians tortured. I had Christians put to death. He was a modern-day terrorist. And the idea that God would allow me to be an apostle to proclaim the message of Christ and his death and resurrection is so humbling. Watch. 
that I wake up every day thinking I get to be part of this. You know what's so great about the Easter story? Is that you wake up every day and you get to be part of this story. Here's the significance for you and me. It means that your faith, your faith is not in vain. It means your faithfulness in worshiping and serving God is not in vain. It means that for those of you today for the first time in a long time, maybe you've become a little curious about whether or not this actually happened. Did Jesus, did he come back to life? Is he alive? Then your curiosity is not in vain. And those of you this Easter season, you're thinking, well, I'm, I'm not simply back this weekend. I want to make this a lifestyle. I'm ready to re-engage. Then your reconsideration of the Christian faith is not in vain. But I understand from a distance, the idea of someone being raised from the dead is totally unbelievable. But when you get into the story, into the conversation, to the words of the eyewitnesses, when you consider what happened in the weeks that followed, what happened in the years that followed, when you considered what happened in the centuries that followed, when you consider that over one-third of the world's population has placed their faith in Christ and that millions and millions of people give credit to a living Savior, Jesus Christ, for the change that has happened in their lives and you get to be part of that every day that is the Easter story where at the surface it may appear I don't know if I can believe that the truth is when you factor it all in the Easter story is very believable I don't want to end like this I don't want you to bow your heads and close your eyes but I want you to do something that may be a little different for you there are three groups of you that I want to pray a prayer. And I want you to pray the prayer out loud. I just want you to whisper it. The person next to you may not even hear it, but you're going to whisper it where you're going to hear it. So here goes. Here's the first group. If you're here, and you're here because it's Easter, and you say, you know what, I'm, I'm curious now. I'm just doing this because this is tradition. This is what I do. But I'm curious. Would you whisper a prayer that goes, Heavenly Father, I'm curious. And maybe you're one who would say, you know what? It's beyond that for me. I, I grew up in this and I've been away. I walked away and I, I, I realize this is real. Maybe you need to whisper this prayer. Heavenly Father, I'm back. And maybe you're here today and something rose up inside of you and, and you didn't come here for this, but you realize, hey, I do believe. I actually believe. Then would you be willing to pray this prayer? And maybe you haven't prayed in a long time. Would you be willing to whisper this prayer? Heavenly Father, I believe. In all three categories, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And if any of those three categories, I'm asking you to pray that prayer out loud, and the rest of the people are going to join you. Okay? This means yes. 
Thank you. Work with me. Let's pray this. Don't, don't close your eyes. Don't bow your heads. I know that's hard, but it's not in the Bible. You ready? I believe that Christ died for me. I believe that he was buried. I believe that he rose from the dead. And that he was seen alive. And I place all my faith in that Jesus as my Savior. Amen. Now you may bow your heads. I'd like to pray for you. Father, thank you for preserving the ancient documents, the scriptures. Thank you for the men and women who gave their lives away to ensure that these documents and stories would be available to generation after generation. Give each of us wisdom to know how to respond to what we've just heard. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, we're not finished. We haven't dismissed. I want you to do this for me. I want you to sing. I want you to make a declaration through song. This song is a declaration that every person should sing out with everything that you have to declaring, I believe. 